You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word.
much for the beautiful music this morning. Over these last few weeks, we've been looking at the subject, Tis the Season. Beginning a few weeks back, Tis the Season for Giving. And then last week, Tis the Season for Going. This Sunday morning, Christmas Sunday morning, we end that series, Tis the Season, the Blessed Season for Growing. Tis the season for growing. You know, it's amazing when you take the Word of God, all 66 books, it takes two hands to carry it. Yet the entire Christmas story and the narrative that we celebrate this time of year can be found in just a couple of pages. Let me remind you of the highlights of the Christmas story. The prophetic word goes out that there would be one that would go before Jesus, that would pave the way, that would be the forerunner of Christ, that would be the one announcing His birth his life and his ministry, John the Baptist. Literally leaping in the womb with excitement because Jesus was coming soon. And then the angel, of course, spreading the news between Mary and Joseph and finally the shepherds. And then it all culminates in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph made the journey from Nazareth down through Jerusalem and up the hill country into Bethlehem. And finally, the occasion comes, we celebrate Luke chapter 2, and it came to pass in those days, you know the story. But then what? Then what? Here's what would take place. The shepherds would get word, they would come and they would witness this child, they would begin to go and make known the broad the saying, and then Mary began pondering everything, just thinking through it, imagining what it's going to be like to raise this child, and they, on the eighth day, the Bible says, verse 21 of Luke 2, and when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named to the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So Jesus has been consecrated before the Lord, if you will, through that circumcision, obedience to the law of God. Well, then what? Well, the Bible says in verse 22, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses was accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem. Now, just so you understand the logistics of the journey, Nazareth is about roughly 100 miles or so away from Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is only uh, a few miles, maybe as many uh, 10 miles in that day. It's kind of a different terrain now than it was then, but around 10 miles. So after she's finally prepared and ready and she's able to travel, they make their journey not back home, not back to Nazareth, not back to take up life, but immediately they went to Jerusalem to dedicate Jesus, to be obedient to the law, obedient to the word of God. The Bible says when they went to Jerusalem, Simeon blessed them. Simeon identified that this was the Christ child, the one that he had been waiting for, the one that all of Israel had been waiting for. But then we pick up the story this morning. Verse 39. Maybe you don't even think of this as being part of the Christmas story, but it is. In fact, it's the part of the Christmas story that we need to apply more than any other part. For when we think about Nazareth and we think about Bethlehem and we think about the dedication of the temple, all of those things are focusing directly at Christ and our worshiping Him and our honoring Him and our identifying with Him. But in verse 39, we typically cut it off. In fact, I've got to admit, I've got my, the, 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 the Christmas story highlighted and I quit highlighting after verse 38. But notice verse 39. And when they, Mary and Joseph had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord. They had been obedient to the very end. Then they returned into Galilee, and finally 
that 100-mile trek. Now, you think it was something this morning getting up and getting your children ready and getting them to the Lord's meeting house? Can you imagine a newborn baby making a 100-mile trek through the rocky terrain and then finally through the, uh, through the plains and through, uh, you know, the weather and everything that was unpredictable in that area? And finally, to Nazareth. If you've ever traveled a long distance by foot, when you get there, you're glad to be there, right? I mean, their journey had finally come to an end. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when they began nearing their home, a modest and meek carpenter's home? Can you imagine the thoughts that were going through their mind? Man, things are a lot different now than when we left. I remember when we brought our first child home from the hospital. It was such a surreal thought that we... We left here with two, but we're coming back with three. Well, not only had they left with two and coming back with three, but the third one was none other than the Son of God. What a thought. Verse 40. And the child Jesus grew. Isn't that something? Feet that had trodden the streets of gold and I had to learn to walk a mouth that had spoke all matters into existence, had to learn to eat solid food. Wow. He grew. And look here. And he waxed strong in spirit. Now, I submit to you, I imagine living in a carpenter's home, he probably got strong physically. And I'm all about that. I think it's a wonderful thing. Go to the gym, go work out, go you know, get your muscles, get your body in good shape and all that thing. But notice... There's nothing here really specifically about the physical nature of this child, but he waxed strong in his spirit. But there's more. He was filled with wisdom. What is wisdom? Let me give you this real quick. Wisdom is when you take knowledge and you put it to good use. Wisdom is when you take knowledge and you make the most out of it. It's not just what you know, but it's applying that what you know. And Jesus did that. And notice... And the grace of God was upon him. And then we know nothing for the next 12 years or so. This process, verse 40, kind of covers it all. In verse 41, Jesus would go to the temple. He would begin ministering. He would identify with his mother and father. We'll talk about that next week. We're going to look at a message specifically on the life of Joseph. And again, in verse 52, the Bible says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. But today, I just want to take a few moments and camp out on the thought, "'Tis the season for growing.'" You see, it wasn't enough here in the text that Jesus was born of the virgin, laid in the manger, that the shepherds came and worshiped, and eventually the wise men would get there and present their gifts. It wasn't enough, but there was a process that began at Bethlehem, a process that continued through Jerusalem, a process that continued into Nazareth, a process as Jesus began growing and maturing. And my question to you today is, have we ever moved beyond Bethlehem? Have we come to the point that we're applying that which we know? Have we come to that point that we're growing and maturing in our faith? Or are we remaining a baby before our Lord? Now imagine if God sent this baby and he remained a baby, he would never have been our Savior. 
He had to mature. He had to be tempted. He had to live a sinless life. He had to perform all those things. He had to go to the cross. He had to suffer, bleed, and die. He had to die on that cross so that he might be raised on the third day. There's a process. And beloved, my my concern for us and my concern for believers all over the world is that while there may or may not have been a birth, there's never been growth. So first, I want to introduce the gospel to you. If you're here today and maybe just for tradition you thought it'd be good to go to church, well, beloved, may I say to you that the the Lord Jesus Christ said to Nicodemus, who was in church every time the doors were open, you must be born again. You see, you cannot have growth until there is first birth, right? So there's birth in Bethlehem, and in verse 40 we see the growth. Let me give you three things very quickly. As I prayed and I saw leadership of the Holy Spirit this week at Just some simple things I could leave you with because I understand it's Christmas morning. You've got a lot of things on your mind. Some of you are hoping the biscuits don't burn or, you know, the presents are still there or whatever it might be. So I want to make this simple. How is it that Christ grew? What was it that caused the growth process and the maturing in Christ and then sort of relate it to ourselves and say, well, are are we adhering to these things? Are we following his example? Three things. Number one. I believe the growth of the Lord Jesus Christ is due to the fact that he was confident in his person. Confident in his person. Preacher, what do you mean by that? He knew exactly who he was. There was no doubt, there was no fear, there was no trembling, there was no intimidation because he, he could stand not only upon a rock, he could stand as the rock. He realized that he was the great I am. He identified as that. He realized that he and the Father were one. There are a couple of indications in that. Notice chapter 2, verse number 49. Jesus had been in the temple And he had been sharing with the leaders and the priests. And they were amazed at him. And his mother and father were looking frantically. Can you imagine? I want to tell you, it's a bad feeling when you lose a child. But when you lose God's child, can you only imagine? So they're frantically looking and they've been looking and looking. And 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 finally, they find him. and, And Mary said, Jesus, didn't you know that we were worried? Your father and I have been worried sick. And he said this, verse 49... How is it that you sought me? Which do not that I must be about my father's business. Even as a 12-year-old little boy, he was not confused as to who he was. Today, I want to encourage you to settle it once and for all. If you're not sure, if you're wondering, if you're questioning, if you have a hope, so maybe so salvation, settle it. You need to be confident in your person, confident in who you are in Christ. The Bible says that I can be in Christ, a brand new creation with the old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The Bible says in Christ, I am more than a conqueror. The Bible says in Christ. He is my strength. He is my rock. He is my fortress. There is so much that we have and so much that we are simply in Christ. Luke chapter 3 verse number 22. Things are moving quickly in the life of Christ. Jesus is now baptized by his cousin John. And notice what the Bible says. And the Holy Ghost departed and descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And listen, a voice from heaven came and said this, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom in thee I am well pleased. 
The Bible says this, that when God looks upon us as His children, He sees us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees us as joint heirs, as co-laborers with His Son. Oh, to think that He would say about you and me, they are my beloved children. I am well pleased. I am with them whithersoever thou goest. I will never leave them nor forsake them. There is an identity that we need to embrace this Christmas season. If we're going to grow in Christ, we need to settle who we are. One of my favorite memories at Christmas, and I wish I could go there today to go to my grandmother's house. And I remember as a little boy, my grandmothers, both of them lived on a a meal hill in Danville, Virginia, one at the top and one at the bottom. And every house looked exactly the same. Whenever they built those houses and families would move into them, they'd say, you can have your house any color you want so long as it's white. Every house was white. Every house had the same roof. Every house had the same porch. And and you could not tell one house from the other except for one thing. Every house on that street, without exception, had a screen door. And in the middle of that screen door would have an aluminum uh, sort of plaque. And in the middle of that plaque would be a letter that would identify that family's last name. My grandmother's last name was Hunley. And I remember as a little child as we would drive up the street and I was having a hard time deciphering because every house looked just the same, you know. Kind of like going down the, the hall at a motel. You got to look for the number because all the doors are the same, you know. And, and, and I remember looking and I couldn't wait to see that H on a door because I knew when I saw that H that I was at my grandmother's house. Beloved, my prayer is that when people look at us that they see there's something different and that there is a C upon our life that Christ has been applied to us and that we have applied him to every area of our life and we are grounded and settled in who we are. I am a child of the king. I make mistakes and I fall altar and and, and I slip and I fail on a daily basis but ultimately at the end of the day I can lay my head on the pillow assured that if I should die in my sleep it is okay not because I am good but because he is God he is my heavenly father he'll never leave me he'll he'll, he'll never alienate himself from me Um, he'll never file papers to do away with me friend he loves me in spite of me he is mine forevermore and I am his Jesus said this I am I am I am the father are one. You cannot divide one. When you become a believer, you and the Father are one. Number two, not only was Jesus confident in his person, number two, Jesus was committed to his purpose. Committed to his purpose. You see, Jesus knew just who he was, and Jesus also knew why he came. We all know the verse, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There was no doubt in Christ's mind why he came. Now think about this. If Christ would have been given to pride, imagine the fame that was his. There has never been another so famous as Christ, never been one to make such an indelible mark on society as Christ, never one who could perform the miracles and do the things of God as Christ But yet he was committed not to fulfill his will, but to fulfill the Father's will. He was not to make a name for himself, but to make a way for you and me. He understood that his purpose was not just to live, but that it was to die. John 14, Jesus' farewell to his disciples said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That's being confident. That's being 
uh, absolutely assured of who he was. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you might be also. And whither I go, you know, in the way you know. And then doubting Thomas scratched his head and said, but Lord, where are you going? And how can we get there? Lord, we're not even sure about the destination. And, and we sure don't know about the details. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. And then a little phrase. He says, no man comes to the Father except by me. Now stop and listen here, y'all. Don't miss this part. Jesus in that closing phrase says, no man comes to the Father except through me. He understood that his purpose was to be the way, that his purpose was to unite a holy God and a fallen man. He understood that if it wasn't for him, there was no other way, that there was no other access. He understood the importance of his role and the purpose of his existence on planet Earth. And you say, well, I get that and I agree, but preacher, what does that have to do with me? Here it is. You and I have been charged with proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we truly realize that our ultimate purpose, if we are a Christian, is not just to be a good Christian, it's not just to sing good Christian songs and live a good Christian life, but ultimately it is to bring lost people to a holy God through the blood of Jesus, to introduce the gospel, to be inspired daily, to lead people to Jesus. And we must be committed to that purpose. Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Are we truly committed to our purpose? First, individually. Individually. Sometimes we can get so caught up in life and even in religion that we forget that our purpose has never been to be religious, you know? Our purpose has never even been just to be faithful to church. Because if we're just checking off a box, yes, I went to church. Yes, I've done my duty. I've fulfilled my obligation. We're totally missing the mark. And by the way, Satan doesn't mind a bit if the churches are full. In fact, he'd be just delighted for churches to be full all over the world all the time. Get those people in there together so they're not any threat to those outside of the church. We realize that ultimately we are not the church when we come in here. We are a body of believers who have come to worship. We are the church when we go out those doors sharing the good news. Why? Because that is our purpose. Visitors, bear with me for about two seconds. <laughs> Members, you're probably going to hear a lot over these next few months about our purpose. I was in a meeting a few months ago. Jeff Eisenhower, he's the pastor at Aaron Lake Baptist Church, huge church up in Fayetteville. Uh, they lose 3,000 people every year. Can you imagine? Because they're military. And they transfer out and they transfer in. They transfer out, I can't imagine. And he said, for years, he said, for years we were committed to being a good church for people looking for a good church. And he said, we, we perfected that. We had a product that was more enticing than the products of the other churches. So people looking for a good church when they moved to Fayetteville will come to our church. As I was sitting in that meeting, I realized I'd had one of those aha God moments that he was truly uh, penetrating the depths of my heart with that because I realized that was me. 
I was getting good at developing a product that other people would want to come and, and experience our product, even sometimes to a fault. And I realized that God nowhere in his word says, you go build a church that people want to come and experience your church. Here's what he said. You build everything you do upon the foundation of the gospel and I will build my church so that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I saw that and I thought, wait a minute. 90% of our churches are plateaued and declining. that They're dying, but God, you said you would protect and you would prevail your church. But God, why is that? And maybe, maybe it's because the churches across our land are being built not on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but on the man-made foundations of religion and ritual. Our purpose is not to be religious or experience or express ourselves through rituals. Our purpose is not just to go through the motion so that we feel good about ourselves. As we were out this week and sharing gloves and sharing hats and sharing toboggans and sharing all the things that we got to share, I realized that ultimately anybody could do that. The hell's angels could have loaded up on their motorcycles and gone up there and done that. Unless we are also giving them the gospel, what good is it? It is one thing to make a person's hands warm or their head warm or their, or their feet warm. But only the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will fill a person's heart and warm their cold old soul with the gospel. Oh, beloved, that we would be committed to his purpose. His purpose. Number three. Not only do I see in this text, and the child grew, that Jesus in his life of growth was confident in his person. He knew just who he was. Not only do I see that he was committed to his purpose, that is the Father's purpose. But thirdly, I see that Jesus was daily consumed with his passion. Consumed with with his passion. There are two things that Jesus remained faithful to. Number one, his purity. And number two, our pardon. That required much passion. To remain pure, even in the times of temptation, Satan tempting him three times, and we are sure tempting many, many more times in his life. Jesus, being 100% man as well as 100% God, experienced all the trials and all the tribulations and all the temptations that you and I do. How is it that he was so faithful? It was because of his passion, his love for you and me, because he realized one slip, one mistake, one fault. Not only am I done for, but my people are doomed. How important that we become passionate when it comes to our lives of purity. That, that we live a life that others would look at and see that it's authentic and that it's genuine and that it's the real thing. And then secondly, he was committed to our pardon. We call it the passion of the Christ. Come Easter, we'll talk about his passion. But are we passionate about the souls of other people? Is there a desire in our heart that we are completely consumed with this thing of the gospel? I'm so thankful God speaks to simple-minded people in simple ways. I will never be an extremely smart man, and I'm okay with that. I'm thankful that God still speaks to us just like we need. I was thinking about this this week and praying through it, and God gave me an illustration that I'd like to share. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, well, now, I'm like you, preacher. I just need a story sometimes. Well, here's my story. Back when I was growing up, 
I played Little League. I was a good Little League player. I was a good baseball player. Hit two home runs in one game. We'll talk about that later. Feel free to stay after church and I'll tell you all about it. But when I was playing Little League, you only had two coaches. Now, don't miss this part, y'all. You had the head coach and you had the assistant coach. That's all you had. My daddy was my head coach, and that made it interesting, you know. But, um, man, we were passionate about the game. My boys grew up playing baseball. They're passionate about the game. I, uh, there was, I might have not had that much talent, but I made it up in passion. Haston told me that one time, and I'll never forget it. He said, Daddy, I'm not as, I'm not as good as some of the other players, but I, I just got more heart and got more passion. He was right. And I remember playing those games, and I remember the boys and girls, we played co-ed. I remember the boys and girls would come up on the fence, and they would chant, and they would root their team on, and they would holler and hoop and carry on. I mean, you know, every play, every pitch, they were there. They were passionate about the game. They were sliding in for every, you know, every attempt and, and hustling and all of these things. And, and I'm not in any way trying to be condemning of the younger generation. I love the younger generation. That's where my heart is. But as I got out of playing ball, and then as I started having children of my own, and as I've watched through the years, you have to admit some of that passion is gone. Sometimes I wonder if these little boys and girls really wanted to play the sport in the first place, or if mom and daddy just signed them up and put them out there with a glove in their hand, you know. But you look, and, and there's not a lot of passion anymore. Slide, I might hurt myself. I might, I might scuff up my, uh, up my knee, you know. might get my uniform dirty. Bless God, when I came up, not everybody got a trophy. But anyway, we won't go down that path. Well, now I've noticed that there's a third coach on every team. You've got the head coach, and you've got the assistant coach, and then you've got the bench coach. And sometimes they call her the bench mother. Many times it'll be a lady. And, and what it is is you've got to have somebody on the bench now to keep the players straight, to keep the players in line, trying sometimes just to keep the players from killing one another, you know? Why? Because there's not a lot of passion for the game anymore, so you got to somehow entertain. I look over on the bench sometimes, and the players are over there with their cell phones playing games and, and carrying on. The coach says, come on, I'm going to put you in. I don't really want to go in, coach. I'm right in the middle of my game and all of these things. And I look at that poor bench coach over there trying to, you know, coddle every one of the players and make sure they've all got their sunny delight or whatever they got, make sure they're all just, you know, how it is. And I'm thinking, what's wrong? Why has there got to be a bench coach? This? There's not passion anymore. And I talk to pastor after pastor after pastor. Oh, their heart just wants to see kingdom work accomplished but there happened to be the bench coach and there happened to coddle and care and try to do everything to keep everybody happy why because the passion of the people is no longer there you'll not find churches splitting when they're passionate about souls you'll, you'll not find Baptist backsliding and Baptist bickering and Baptist arguing and all of these things when there's passion about souls We've created the most narcissistic society in the doors of the churches today and it absolutely breaks the very heart of Almighty God because He wants us not to be so concerned about having things our way like we're at Burger King waiting on a meal, but He wants us to desire things to be His way even upon the night of Christ's crucifixion. The wee hours Christ would cry out and say, Oh, Father, if there's any other way, God, but not my will, Thy will be done. Why? Because he was consumed with his passion. Beloved, may I ask you, do you have passion today? Are you passionate about the things of God? You know, so much passion at our disposal. 
Jesus says, guys, you think you've seen some miracles in my life? You've seen some blinded eyes open, some lame people walking. You've seen some hungry people fed and a couple dead people raised. But guys, the Holy Spirit of God's going to come upon you, going to fill you, going to envelop you and indwell you. And when he does, you're going to do even greater things. Why? Because you're going to be filled with all of the very passion of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine in creation when God spoke all matters into existence, when he spoke the Smoky Mountains into their place, and when he spoke the Atlantic Ocean in its place, when he spoke the continents in their places, when he spoke the highest places in the lowest places, the hottest places and the coldest places, all of that power and all of that authority and all of that of God is instantly now ours through the Holy Spirit. And he says, now there's power, there's passion in that. Pathos, the Greek word, there's passion in that. Jesus grew because he was confident in this person. As we close this morning, may I ask you, do you know that you know that you know that you know that you are a child of Almighty God? Do you know that you're Save that you're born again. I'm not asking you what denomination you are. I'm not asking you if you've met with the preacher or met with the baptistry pool. I'm not asking if you've been through a class or 10 classes. But has there been a moment in your life that you can honestly say, yes, I repented of my sins. I turned my heart and life over the Lord Jesus Christ. I accepted him. I became a believer. Are you confident in his person? Secondly, if you are, are you totally committed to his purpose? Do you understand that he has a great purpose for you individually and for us as a church? And thirdly, are you consumed, absolutely consumed with passion for the things of God? What a wonderful Christmas morning this could be. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Years to come, somebody says, my favorite gift I ever got was that Schwinn bicycle when I was 12 years old. My favorite gift that I ever got was on my 16th Christmas when I got that little convertible. My favorite Christmas present I ever got was in a church in Dublin, and I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Wow. Having that settled. Beloved, I want to encourage you this morning. Get it settled once and for all Christians, and I include myself at the top of that list. Get over yourself. Get over your own purpose and your own desires and your own wants and your own wishes and your own, um, you know, taste and preferences and say, it's all about him. It's not about me. And then whatever it takes to allow God to live and to breathe through you, his passion, his fervor, his zeal, tis the season for growing. Father, we thank you that you do grow us. Father, you didn't have us to be Lord, babies that would remain babies. Lord, there's nothing more heartbreaking than to see a child who hasn't developed. Lord, a child that as they get older, there's no maturing, there's no physical maturing, there's no emotional and mental maturing. And God, my prayer is that when you look at your children, you don't see that. God, I acknowledge there have been many chapters of my life where I went backwards instead of forwards. And God, I pray today that you would help us in that, Lord, that... um just the very realm of growth that takes place when we truly know who you are and who you are in us. Father, I pray this morning for that person that might be here that needs to settle it. They need to be confident in who they are right now. God, that they might cry out as they know how best. 
with childlike faith. Lord, just call out to a holy God, oh God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, come into my heart and take away my sins. Lord, forgive me. Lord, be my, my Savior. Be the Lord of my life. Right now, Lord, I want to be confident. I want to know that I know that I know. I want to have no doubt in who I am in you. Oh, God, may it be, may it be. And then, Father, for every babe in Christ, may we grow. For every, every adolescent in Christ, may we grow. For every adult in Christ, may we grow. May we desire every day to feed on your word. Lord, to feed in prayer to be nourished and strengthened in your presence and in your holy word. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us.